Welcome back to Podcast 15. I'm Larry Casilla from AmmoNYC.com, and you're listening to the AmmoNYC Podcast. I appreciate you coming back. Last week, we were at the Mobile Tech Expo in Orlando, Florida, and I had six of the most amazing detailers, uh, really great friends, super smart guys, and they're uh, happy to teach, uh, which is pretty cool. So I had Rennie Doyle, I had Scotty Perkins, I had Bob Phillips, I had Jim from Dr. Beasley's, and of course, Jason Rose from McGuire's, uh, stellar crew, and uh, a late a late to the party, uh, one of my good friends, Richard Lynn uh, of Blackwell, uh, really great guy, so I'm going to get to see him next week too. We'll talk more about that. So next week, I am actually going out to uh, Los Angeles to hang out with Matt Farah and Mike Musto, my two buds. Uh, we're going to do a podcast, uh, hopefully with uh, Mike Musto as well. Um, but the day that I land, I actually go and hang out on set of Big Muscle and basically uh, try to distract Mike as much as possible to get in trouble because <laughs> that's what he does on my set. Uh, so it should be pretty fun. I want to see what he's doing and, and sort of hang out with him. And that night we're doing a podcast. And then a few days later, I'm actually going to do another video, a uh, the sm- uh, smoking tire video with Matt on the uh, the new Chevy SS because I have an uh, Impala SS. So on the new, excuse me, Impala SS. Um, so it'd be fun to, to see what I have, which is a 95 versus a you know a new 2013 or 14 or whatever he has. Should be pretty fun. So um, also while I'm going out there is to see Jason Rose, my bud from McGuire's. We're going to go hang out at McGuire's, and it's pretty neat. They're having the 10-year anniversary of the forums, uh, and you guys know the forums. Uh, McGuire's basically set the stage for those forums. It, it's gargantuan, and that was 10 years ago. So they're having a big party with cake and soda and all that kind of thing. But there'll be uh, Kevin Brown will be there, uh, Joe Fernandez, Michael Michael uh, Stoops from McGuire's. He's the uh, the internet guru over there. I haven't met him yet, but I'm really excited. I heard uh, amazing things. He's a super nice guy. Jason Rose, uh, a couple other guys that are going to be. Uh, it's the it's the place to be. So if you want to go there, um, I'm looking back right now on my calendar. It is on January 30th. Um, so what you do is just go on the forums, and I think there's only 50 spots and. I don't know, 17 or 18 or whatever, you know, it was basically half full. So as soon as you hear this run, uh, if you're in Southern California, which is Irvine, California, um, come out and, and see everybody. So that should be fun. If not, and you're not in the area, just definitely go on the forums because we'll be on later on. I'll be answering questions and, and doing whatever on the forum. So it should be, should be fun. So later on in this podcast, uh, I'm going to have my buddy Roger Garbo, uh, he, uh, I've known him for many, many years. In fact, he was in the video with me uh, when we did the barn restoration. He was the one that founded, quite frankly. He set everything up. He was, he's the man. Uh, we were shooting, uh, when we shoot Drive Clean, I usually do it within a one-week period just to kind of like pound it out, just get it all set up and go because it's like it's like a 17 or 18-hour day. I sleep for a few hours and I come back and do it again. Um, and we travel all over the place. So I got a phone call from Roger in between uh, shooting you know, uh, you know, on set there. And he said, you have to come see this car, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, Oh man, we're right in the middle of this. And he's like, you have to do it. And I said, okay. And sure enough, you know, the video was one of the best videos anyways. Uh, he's a really good friend, but I get a lot of questions and I know Matt gets a lot of these questions too. How do you, how do I get a job in automotive journalism or, uh, you know, how do I get on Jalopnik or things like that? More of those are geared towards Matt. A lot of guys ask me more detailing questions, but I do get a few of those. So Roger's going to come on and talk a little bit about uh, what he does, which is an automotive journalist as well as a marketing, um, uh, you know, guru, if you will. He owns his own company. Uh, so we're going to chat a little bit about that. Plus, I'm putting his feet to the fire, and we're going to, and uh, he's going to give us his review as a journalist 
uh, the 2013 last year's best cars uh, in particular classes. For instance, you know, a car under $30,000, what was the best one, you know, in that class. And then he's also a, a ridiculous driver. He's really, really good. Uh, and he focuses a lot on racing. So he's going to give us some of from a racing perspective, which is right up my alley because you guys know I'm crazy about driving and racing and all that. So that should be a ton of fun. And uh, so, yeah, let's hop into it. But you know what? Let's not hop into it. I have to do my little rant and raves here. So I took my Porsche 964 out because um, it's it's snowing like crazy in New York. If you guys are watching any of the news, it's like, you know, it's hitting us pretty pretty good. So it started snowing. I think we got 10 inches that day. Um, but as it was getting up to one or two inches, just starting to get a little, you know, a little fun outside. I had a perfectly clean, detailed car. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I have to go out and go get it dirty. Sure enough, I took my car out and purposely went driving, um, which uh, some people in my family think I, I need some help, but I digress. So I went out driving in a perfectly detailed car just to go get it dirty, and I was playing around in the parking lot so you can use your imagination from there. So I came back sopping wet and you know full of salt and, and all that kind of thing. And I said, oh, okay, that's cool. If the temperature gets back up to 20, 25 degrees, I don't care. I'll go outside and wash my car. It, I don't really care about the cold. It's not that big of a deal. But when it's below that, it's almost physically impossible. Um, and, of course, it was between 6 and 10 and 11, 12 degrees, just kind of kind of a pain in the butt. So on a Sundays, my wife and I usually go for a quick ride and get her some coffee or whatever and just uh, like to get out of the house because I'm always at, you know, I'm always, you know, under the roof here. So I go out and there is an automatic car wash where you can just spray, you know, with a power wash. And that's all I really wanted to do was get underneath the car. Uh, so I would put my, I would have put my dollar fifteen quarters or whatever, and just got underneath there with a power washer because underneath a, uh, particularly my Porsche, uh, and I, w- I would imagine most of them, it's pretty flat because of you know like a windage tray. So it's not like a lot of nooks and crannies where things will go in. So that's kind of cool. But I wanted to get in the wheel wells and just more psychologically, I have to wash it properly. I wasn't going to use the, you know, the brush. Obviously, I don't need to say that for sure. But, uh, anyways, I wanted to do that. So I waited in line, waited in line, waited in line. Those guys in front of me. Everybody's cleaning off their their truck or their car, and I am sitting behind on the next guy in line. So I'm right before you go in the little um, the little covered thing with all the the drains on the bottom. So I'm just sitting there waiting for the guy, and he's having a good time doing his thing. No problem. The worker from the location comes out and hooks the banner, hooks the little chain, and puts a cone. Meaning, like I couldn't drive through it. I'd have to unchain it or move the cone if you catch my drift. So I'm sitting there, my car's running, and he literally just walks over, chains the thing, chains it, meaning he closes it, so to speak. It looks, I couldn't drive through, and then puts a cone and walks away. And I look over at my wife, and I'm going, okay, like, uh, what? okay, what's going on? And then a couple, a minute goes by, and he's sitting there, and he's working, and he's doing something else because there's a, a, a full-service wash there, which obviously I wouldn't do, you know, mechanical with all the brushes. And I went like, yo, wh- what are you doing? And he comes over to me and goes, yeah, you know, we're closed. And I said, uh, okay, did you happen to think to come over and knock on my glass and say, hey, sir, you know, patron of our, a customer of our location, uh, you know, we're having troubles. We're having difficulty. We're closing because it's Tuesday. We're, at any excuse, I would have been like, okay, man, that stinks, but whatever, no problem. He just walked away. And I said, well, and there's cars behind me and those guys are freaking out. They're like, well, what's going on here? He's like, yeah, we, you know, we're closed. We want people to go through the tunnel, the tunnel wash and pay more money instead of using the, you know, the self-serve. Anyways, the point of the story is if you guys, you know, a lot of you own your own car washes, customer is always important. Treat them with respect. Um, 
And in the next week, I'm going to be uh, shooting or showing you my uh, my uh, presentation from the Mobile Tech Expo, which was upscale your client portfolio and increase profits. So it's everything about customers and picking the right customers. Having said that, even if a customer shows up and they're not the right one, you treat everyone with respect. You treat them you know, ethically. And when you're waiting in line, it's almost like someone standing at your door you open up your door and you slam it in their face. Like you wouldn't, you would never do that because nobody would do that. So anyways, that's my uh, little rant and rave for today uh, or for this podcast. Treat your customers with respect, even if you're telling them you can't actually have them as a customer. Kind of an important thing. Okay, off my soapbox, but man, I was really bent out of shape after that. So, <laughs> all right, let's move into our topic. Our topic today is going to be um, diminishing versus non-diminishing abrasives. We're going to be super high level on this. What I mean by that is we're not going to get into the nitty gritty, like hardcore nitty gritty and talking about, you know, the, the cones and the shapes of the aluminum oxide and the silica and all that kind of thing. Right now, I just want to be a little bit broad just to kind of hit this subject and get people thinking about it uh, on a bit of a broader uh, topic or higher level thinking. Because um, I get a lot of questions asking me, okay, what's the difference between a diminishing and non-diminishing abrasive? You know, in the definition of the question, I guess, or the question itself, the, the definition exists. One is diminishing and one is non. Okay, yeah, I get that, Larry. But what it, what's really going on here? When when do I use a diminishing versus non-diminishing? Ah, okay, that's now we're starting to get somewhere. So before we, we sort of get into there, I'm just going to paint a little picture um, of, of, of where I'm going with this. So when we think of abrasives, we think of compounds and polishes, and that's sort of where I'm going with this. And again, I'm using air quotes because, you know, some people can put abrasives, um, quote unquote, abrasives in glazes and things. So for all intensive purposes, let's just talk compounds, polishes, and dig a little bit deeper that most of the time, and most of you are probably shaking your head, most of the time compounds have more abrasive and polishes have less abrasive. I'm being super, you can nail me, you can pin me to the wall because you can. we can change that, that uh, phrase 50 times over. So basically anything that has abrasives in it, compounds, polishes, right? And what you can think of them as is basically liquid sandpaper. That's not the first time I'm sure you've heard that, but it's like it's like wet sanding, you know, with 5,000 grit if you were polishing, let's say, or it's similar to that. Is it the exact same thing? No. But um, what happens is you have these little grains or little particles that are suspended in a liquid material. And this liquid material could be, you know, any sort of lubricant. It could be a solvent. It could be some type of wetting agent. Right now, we're not going to get too deep into that, but just think of it as this suspension in a liquid. And, you know, when you apply that, there's different things that come into place, everything from environment to cycle time to multiple, you know, there's, there's 15 different things that um, take place that can change whether a diminishing or non-diminishing abrasive could potentially work or not work for you. So, I always stress when I do these podcasts or I try to do a video because it's so hard to, for me to just give you a one particular, you know, example. And when I was uh, when I was at the Mobile Tech Expo, you know, w one of the best pieces of advice or one of the best things I heard from one of the smartest guys is Jason Rose from Acquires. Um, just unbelievable respect for that guy because he's he's super smart. And this is a direct quote. Uh, from him. So make sure uh, all credit is due to him on this one. He says, quote, the best technician or detailer knows how to adjust their polishing process to that particular car, that particular customer, and that particular environment 
on that particular day. And I went, man, that is freaking awesome. I wish I came up with that. And that is so true. So for me to sit here and say diminishing abrasive is better, non-diminishing abrasive, there's no way that I could do that. And that's why I'm so lucky and grateful that I get all these amazing emails from people all over the world. And it's, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not answering the question. It's like, it, it's almost impossible for me to answer the question. Some are, you know, different than others. Some I get are, how do I detail my car? And I go, oh my God, you know, yikes, where do I begin with this question? And some are very specific and they'll send pictures and even, and pictures do it justice, but you know, there's this process that you go through and you try to figure out, hey, do I use a diminishing abrasive or a non-diminishing abrasive? Is the paint hard or is the paint soft? So, you know, how do, how do you tell if the paint is hard or, or the paint is, is soft? And of course, what's the first thing you do? You do a test spot, right? And then the second thing, did the, did the scratch come out? Did the defect or whatever it is that you're trying to do, did it come out? Did it come out easy? Did it not? You know, you don't want to, you don't want to try to waste your time finding whether it's hard or soft, just test the paint. So anyways, questions like that um, can can sort of help you. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is I, what I'm about to say right now and what I am saying is not a clear and cut thing. I'm just trying to give you more information in that Rolodex and that brain of yours, the detailer brain, so that you can take all those tools and assess what you have on that day in that environment, in that car, and that paint hardness in what the customer actually wants. So it's kind of a cool thing. So anyways, let's hop back into uh, diminishing abrasive. So right off the bat, diminishing, um, it's a this, this granule, this particle, this whatever you want to call it, is going to basically go from something. And I'm going to use numbers here uh, for demonstration purposes only, not for any specifics, meaning I'm not saying, you know, McGuire's does this or Manzerna does that. I'm, I'm not speaking to that because I don't, you know, I don't manufacture their stuff, so I'm not going to speak about it intelligently. But for example purposes, let's take a diminishing abrasive. I'm going to use round numbers so the point gets across. So a diminishing abrasive, let's say it starts off at 1,000 grit, right? So you start off at a 1,000 grit. And generally speaking, diminishing abrasives are more aggressive than non-diminishing abrasives at the start. And the reason why is logically thinking, you'd want them to be more aggressive because within a couple of seconds, couple of minutes, couple of days, couple, whatever you, you know, I'm basically being facetious on the time. I can't tell you how much time because that's based on pressure and the person behind the wheel. Um, based on that, it's going to be more aggressive and then it's going to be less aggressive very, very quickly, um, relatively speaking. So, uh, of course, you know, with a diminishing abrasive, What's going to happen is, so at 1,000 grit, you start off, right? And as you start off, it's going to start to go in an X amount of time, a couple of seconds, a minute, depends. Um, it's, going to go to, it's going to go to 1,200. Then it's going to go to 1,500, 1,500, 1,600, 1,700, 1,800, 1,800, 2,000, And all this time where I'm mumbling with these, with these numbers, that's what we call a cycle time. Now, one of the biggest things with diminishing abrasives right? Super easy to use. It's what we call beginner friendly. It's awesome. And I'm a big fan of them. It's great. But that cycle time is huge. So a lot of the emails that I get, they say, Hey, well, one, you have to actually look on the bottle, whether it's, you know, decide which one it is. But a lot of them say, Hey, I have a diminishing abrasive and it's not, it doesn't seem to work out for me. And the first question I ask is, okay, cool. Are you using, you know, a, what time are you using? Are you using a timer? Are you doing it by eye, doing it by hand? What's your cycle time? 
Because nine times out of ten, the cycle time is wrong. With a diminishing abrasive, you actually have to give it a certain amount of time, a.k.a. cycle time, for it to break down. So remember in this example, I went from 1,000 to 1,200 to 1,500, 2,000 to 2,500. And like it's known that, it, let's just say in this example, it finishes off at 2,800, right? Or 3,000 grit just to make a round number. If you stop the process, so from going from 1,000 to 3,000 in this fictional example, takes two minutes at X pressure. If you stop that at a minute, you're not going to get to 3,000. You're only going to get to... 2100. So you're going to look at it and go, man, I still see swirls in it. I don't understand. I see these love marks. I see these holograms. Well, that's because your cycle time wasn't right. So again, getting a little bit too deep in here, but diminishing abrasive is something that will start off at a high number, um, meaning a high aggressive, a low number, but uh, it's very aggressive. And then it will become less aggressive. That's, that's a safe thing to say. What, what the numbers are, I don't know, based on the product. When you go over to a non-diminishing abrasive, it's just like it says. It's pretty consistent the entire time. Now, a lot of times people ask, hey, how do I tell if there's no label? How do I tell if there's, you know, it's if it's a non-diminishing abrasive or a diminishing abrasive? Well, if you're trying to get a scratch out, which, by the way, a non-diminishing abrasive is a better way, a more efficient, a more effective way, do Non, does the non-diminishing get you a scratch out? Yeah, it's just a different way of doing it that may or may not be as fast. And I'm telling you, it's typically not as fast as a non-diminishing abrasive. So how do you know if there's no label on it and you just got these two white liquids and you have no idea? If you're using the same pad, the same pressure, the same everything, right, same speed, if you were to get a scratch out with this one material, one product, this one, you can't tell what it is and it was a test or you know a quiz to figure out which one is which, and then you go over to another without putting more liquid on there, more of this mystery liquid, and you go over to another scratch, and then you take that scratch out without putting any more on there, you would say to yourself, hmm, so I got a scratch out with, with on the you know left panel, and I got the scratch out with the right panel, and I didn't add any more. What would you say? Of course, it would be a non-diminishing, meaning it's the same level of aggressiveness. Again, in theory, it, it, it sort of... You know, as you use it, it wears down a bit here and there, but it's not going to be purposely breaking apart into these finer and finer little pieces. So that's that's sort of a way that you can kind of tell whether it's a diminishing versus non-diminishing, other than just flipping the bottle over and reading if it says diminishing or non-diminishing. But that's kind of a way uh, to think about it. So a non-diminishing, staying on that point, is typically faster for pros. So uh, a lot of the super pro guys, um, especially McGuire's, McGuire's one. Um, M, uh, M101 or M100, I can't remember which one it is, but um, I mean, that's a great example of a non-diminishing where, I mean, it just, it's got power, it cuts the whole way through and it takes care of business and it has a very quick cycle time. So let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the cycle time. I'm going to use these um, fictitious uh, numbers again. So now I'm going to talk about non-diminishing abrasive and we're going to start off at 1,000 again. So if you start off at 1,000, right, and you have a scratch that in theory can be removed by 1,000, you're going to go 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 on that, on that scratch. And once the scratch is gone, that's it. You stop. But with a non-diminishing abrasive, if you're going to get that scratch out and you're lucky enough to get it out with 1,000, uh, you're going to, with a non-diminishing, you're going to use it, use it. And as it's going to 1,000, it's going 1,200, 1,500, 1,800, 2,000. You have to go through that entire cycle 
Otherwise, it's not going to burnish out. It's not going to look the way it's supposed to. But on the other side, if you're using a non-diminishing abrasive, getting out that scratch is going to be pretty quick. So what we call that is a a slower or or um, not slower. I was going to say shorter, a quicker cycle time. So again, think of it. Think of the abrasive type, the type of material your abrasive is, and then adjust your cycle time accordingly. Again, non-diminishing abrasive, right? M, uh, M101 or M100. Uh, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, one of the, uh, the strong McGuire's ones. That's going to have a very quick cycle time, very flat, right? It's all 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 in this example. A non-diminishing is going to go 1,000, 1,200, 1,500, 1,800, 2,000, 2,500, or whatever it's designed to do. It's going to diminish. So you're going to need a long cycle time to actually use it properly. That's the key to this whole entire conversation. So, and the other thing that's kind of cool, uh, you know, about the long cycle times of diminishing abrasives, it's friendly, it's more aggressive in the beginning, and then gets very soft as you get going, right? And uh, it, it's, you know, what the what people market for beginners, because you can't really, I'm using air quotes, you can't really make mistakes, meaning the non-diminishing is really more pro-suited, you know, if I had to pick one or the other. It's best that a pro uses it just because, you know, if you sit too long and you, and instead of using a quick cycle for non-diminishing and use a long, you have a higher chance of burning through the paint. Am I saying you're going to burn through the paint? No, but if I was a betting man, I would say that, that would give you a higher risk of burn through. So what does a diminishing abrasive do? Diminishing abrasive needs pressure over time to work. So it's not necessarily all about the heat. Heat's a big thing. Heat's a negative byproduct. One of my good friends, Mike Phillips, always says that. So I'm not going to take any credit for that. But uh, every one of his classes, he mentions that. And I just go like, yeah, it's so true. Heat is not what you want. You, you know, you put your hand on there and it's so hot. that That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for pressure over a certain amount of time. What is that time called? It's called cycle time. That That's the detailer's talk for it. So kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what a diminishing abrasive versus a non-diminishing abrasive. But again, that is one minute, tiny little aspect of polishing. There's, there's so many different uh, factors that go into polishing, and everybody's so obsessed with polishing. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on on really what the whole process, uh, you know, is, is sort of about. And I, I think, hmm, how do I say this the right way? People need to think about, you know, polishing the outside of their car as something that's more necessary than uh, I want to do it. And you're thinking, and immediately I, that may have come out the wrong way, but you got to think about it from a different perspective. The car, if it needs to be polished, then polish it. But there's things that you need to think about beforehand. Hey, is there enough paint? Hey, what's the history behind it? Was I the one that polished it before? Is there high spots and low spots? Meaning did somebody lean on the rotary polisher, you know, 20 years ago? And I think we focus so much of our time and energy on outside polishing, 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 and not so much building up the layers of protection And that's sort of like my whole thing uh, about it. So I laugh a lot of times. um, And maybe I say these in my videos and maybe I don't. I can't remember. But certainly in person, I say people pay me, um, you know, good money to make sure that I don't touch their car. And everybody goes like, what the heck does that mean? I said, they pay me to not damage their car. They pay me to not polish it. 
So I, you know, the best uh, surgeon, if you will, and I'm certainly not comparing myself to a surgeon. Uh, the surgeons are the Jason Roses and the Mike Phillips and the Todd Helms of the world. But um, as a surgeon, let's call it in this fake example, you know, you'd want one that doesn't want to do surgery on you. That's the guy that you go like, hmm, all right, that makes sense. He's not just all gung-ho like, yeah, 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 let's slice it open and figure out what we find. It's like, no, let's take that approach. Let's measure the paint. Let's see what the customer actually wants. Let's see what the paint can give us. Half the time I do these old cars, you can't even polish it. I say, hey, sir, I can't polish it. There's nothing there. I'm I'm giving you the best advice I possibly can, which may not be, quote, good for my pocket, meaning I'm not going to be able to make money on this. Because I'll be damaging the car or I'll be making it so that it's so thin that it's almost useless. Why would I do that? So I guess what I'm saying is we get all caught up sometimes and I read so many emails a day, which is great and I love it. Um, you know, between diminishing and non-diminishing and how much pressure do I put on? Blah, 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 blah. And I'll, most of it is focused on the polishing of the car, the outside of the car, which is great. If it needs it, do it. If it doesn't, don't. I don't know how to say that. Uh, I don't know how to say that any better. So, you know, when we talk about diminishing and non-diminishing, it's one tiny miniature, minuscule, granule particle of the polishing process. So are you going to be able to learn how to polish over a podcast? Well, that would be awesome if you could. I feel like I'd be doing my job or something. But no, there's no way. I just want to take out these little, little bits and try to just – you know, tweak you just enough uh, to to think about and be like, oh yeah, I remember that podcast. Let me do some more research. Let me think about it. So again, there's probably 15 other things um, that would be talked about. Everything from arm speed to speed to the the speed of the rotary or the whatever polisher you're using, the angle of the polisher, the environment that you're in. I mean, the the liquid, the type of tool. Are you using uh, Rupes? Are you using a rotary? Are you using a flex? Um, what does the customer expect? And, you know, is it hot or humid? That's, that's another cool thing. If you're in, uh, Jason Rose is talking about, if you're in, uh, Arizona, let's say, then you have this diminishing or non-diminishing abrasive, you can almost take that out as a constant right now. Forget about that. Who cares if it's diminishing or non-diminishing in this example, but the liquid, remember I talked about the solvents and the wetting agents. If you're in Arizona, which is crazy dry, you're, you're, you're going to be polishing and your cycle time is going to get all wacky because it's going to evaporate really fast, right? Or if you go to the jungle or if you go to, you know, New York in, in, in the summertime where it's humid, you're going to have really long cycle times. So that's going to play into the diminishing versus non-diminishing. Right? You see how every little factor throws off another one and it's like it just becomes super complicated. So that's why when I say, uh, you know, when I'm talking to you guys, I'm not trying to be demeaning in any way shape or form i think you know that by now when i say high level i just want to stay high level because you can get down a rat hole and never be able to come out it's so confusing and for me i learn the best by staying high level and then individually going deep what we call a deep dive where i just like turn everything off i turn my phone off and i just read this book or this concept or you know uh, like a legal thing i have to learn or a cpa thing i need to learn um and we're going to talk more about that in one of my other uh, in my next video where I go over as a detailer, you're going to need to be a visionary, as someone who believes and and shows the passion and love, which we all have. And you're also going to need to be someone uh, who sits there with the pencil in the ear and figures out your income statements and your balance sheets and what's your contribution ratio and all these amazing things to keep you profitable so you can be out in front of that car all the time.
Anyways, moving on uh, or finishing up here, that's a very, 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 very high-level view of diminishing versus non-diminishing. Again, diminishing, it diminishes. It goes down, 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 down. So 1,000, 1,200, 1,700, 1,200, whatever, right? It's thinner, 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 thinner. Non-diminishing is exactly, and I'm using air quotes, basically stays the same the whole way. 1,000, 1,000, maybe it goes to 1,100, 1,200 as it gets a little bit broken down. And the thing you need to think about, and I'll let you guys go until we hop on with Roger, cycle time. Am I using the right cycle time? Am I using the right amount of time for the compound that I'm using on the car based on whether it's hard, soft, what it needs? Is there enough clear coat? You see how it gets a little bit? You can start rolling down this hill of getting crazy. So when you think of the compound, so the bottom line is this. When you have your compound and you're about to polish or compound a car, or buff a car, or whatever words you want to use. Think about, hey, what kind is this? Diminishing versus non-diminishing. I need to know my cycle time, and then I can move forward and think about further things. What's my environment, et cetera, et cetera. So that tiny little tidbit today, I hope that was helpful. Let's hop on with Roger Garbo and talk, uh, come down from this. uh, I feel like my heart's pounding out of my chest. I get really passionate about this stuff. But uh, let's talk to Roger. We'll figure it out, and then we'll hop on the back on the back side of this and uh, and uh, answer a few questions from Facebook. So here we go. Hey, Roger, you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Larry. Hey, long time no speak. Likewise. How ha- you doing? Good, good. Happy New Year. Same to you. All right. Well, uh, I'm looking right now. I'm actually I'm actually distracted while we're talking already. This is this is sad. I'm already distracted. I'm looking at uh, I'm on uh, YouTube looking at the barn find. Oh, when was the last a, time you looked at the views? Take a guess. Uh, it's been uh, uh, a couple weeks, so I'm not even know where we're up to, but it, it's got to be killer amount. It's six hundred and eighty thousand six hundred and seventy-five views. It's unbelievable! <laughs> what a great day that was. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. So for <laughs> all of you who may not know, Roger um, was in the video with me for the the barn find uh, nine twelve. But more importantly, Roger was on the found. Roger was the video. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate that very much, but yeah, you, uh, you're, you're wise in the ways of finding cars and marketing them and, and you, you've, uh, you've been very helpful. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. That was fun. So you are a member of the international motor press association. That is a mouthful. And what does that mean? Uh, international motor press association is not quite as international as it sounds, but <laughs> Mostly uh, northeast or, or at least east coast based uh, journalists. There are some from uh, across the country, and you know it's auto journalists primarily. Uh, from and and there's also obviously manufacturers and and racetracks and aftermarket companies and so forth. But uh, it's all people that have something to do professionally with the uh, automotive industry, and it's primarily journalists. And uh, we get together once a month, and we have. Some uh, twice a year we have uh, test days, and uh, it's it's good fun, good people. Do you physically get together? Because I'm a member of the Motor Press Guild, which is, I think, a California-based or L.A.-based yes. one. And I don't get anything other than, you know, some emails once a week and that sort of thing. We have a uh, meeting once a month in Manhattan, and um, there's a guest speaker. It's usually somebody from one of the manufacturers who will tell us, you know, the state of their company, the state of the industry, what's coming down the pike, and so forth. And... Um, you know, it's pretty good. Well, you know, the attendance on those is, eh, you know, it depends on who's speaking. But the big thing is our, our spring and fall test days. Uh, we do a thing in, in the fall in particular at Monticello Motor Club where the manufacturers will bring 
a wide variety of cars and let us loose with them both on the local streets and on the racetrack and uh, even in the woods. It's really pretty fun. I think that's what most people, you know, they sort of scratch their head and they say, well, how did, Larry, how did you get your job, you know, detailing cars or whatever? Matt, meaning Matt Farah, how did you, you know, become a journalist? And you are essentially the same exact, uh, you know, thing as Matt. You, you guys basically, they give you cars and say, hey, Roger, here's the new XYZ car. Review it. Tell me what you think. But the cool part is, um, and I think why everybody's like pining to be a journalist, rightfully so, is you basically get cars on a regular basis. Because I see every time I see you, you're in a new car. Yes. Well, you know, he, here's the thing too. A lot of the times, um, you know, the manufacturers will say, "Hey, we've got something coming. Do you want it?" Other times, I have a particular interest in a vehicle or have a story idea, and I'll call them and say, "Hey, I'm looking for this. What's the availability?" And they'll get me scheduled in. So it really goes both ways. Um, you know, and sometimes they, they fly us to interesting places too to, to drive a car, uh, which is always fun. That's like the dream job for lots and lots of people it, I talk to on the internet. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. People always ask me all the time. But in my, my day job, I mean, it really it revolves around uh, autos and, and motorsports. Um, I do uh, marketing, PR, communications as the head of my own company, um, which I also founded. Uh, we do a lot of different things, events. We help uh, companies market a, whether it's a product or a vehicle or a service related to the industry. And um, it's fun. I've also worked with race teams and uh, racetracks like Monticello Motor Club. Um, so it's a, it's a good time. So give me they, like a scenario. So you're, again, you're the president and founder of Full, market, uh, Full Throttle Marketing. So give me like a generic who comes up to you and says, "Hey, Roger, we want you to do X, Y, Z." And what is that? Like, what is that? Okay, perfect example. There's these guys in Connecticut uh, who uh, it's called a company called Spider Creations, and they are building a an amazing, uh, really very accurate replica of the uh, Porsche 550 Spider, hmm. and it's all aluminum. It's original construction techniques using wooden bucks and the whole thing it's just a phenomenal vehicle it's very expensive it's anywhere from three and a quarter to 475 depending on which engine um push rod versus uh, four cam so they called me up and and said hey you know can you help us reach prospective customers obviously affluent porsche enthusiasts who might be interested in you know owning a car like this and with the uh, price of the the real ones you know, hitting four million bucks. Um, this is a bargain. This is a bargain. I mean, you know, you think about it. You know, you can have the same driving experience, the same look and feel, um, but not have to worry if some you know lady backs into it with her minivan. Totally. Well, I don't know if I go that far, but yeah, yeah, it would be less <laughs> painful than taking a, a you know a piece of history and throwing it in the garbage for sure. Yes. Now I've read. Uh, I've known you forever, but I read somewhere meaning. In roadandtrack.com. Did you like that plug right there? Thank you. Um, some of your articles. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing with those guys. Uh, Road and Track, obviously, I've been a, a longtime uh, reader of Road and Track. It's one of the first automotive publications I started getting as a kid, and I've, I've always kept my subscription. I love it. Um, so being able to write for them now is, is really, you know, has been a, a dream come true. Um, I write for a number of other publications as well, but this is my favorite. 
Um, great guys there. They've rebooted themselves uh, last year, as you probably know. Oh, and, yeah, I and, met with know. them. I mean, the way that they changed their marketing and, I mean, uh, and branding as well, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty spectacular. It's phenomenal. I really think, and you know, maybe a little bit biased, but I really think it's the best automotive publication in uh, North America now. You know, it, just it gave me this GQ feel. Like, yeah. it, it's a, it's. I don't know. It, I, I can't put my finger on it exactly, but when I, we, I, you know, we met with them for some other, uh, you know, things on my side, and I was looking at the magazine, going, "Whoa, this is literally a combination of GQ and the old Road and Track," and it just. It's just like the new modern guy. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but no, you're right. And it, with the thing is, it's more lifestyle focused. It's not like you can get specs and statistics anywhere on a car, but they're telling stories, and they've got beautiful photography, and you know, great um, writers. You know, excluding me. And it's really, <laughs> um, it, it's no, it's really a, a great publication. And Larry Webster is doing a phenomenal job uh, at the helm there, and Alex Nunez running the uh, online part. They're just, you know, good guys, and they're really passionate about what they do. Um, but, you know, like, okay, two a couple of the stories I did this year were, you know, pretty diverse for them. Uh, one was uh, Land Rover gave me a new LR4, and Airstream gave me a uh, one of their uh, gorgeous uh, stainless steel uh, trailers. And um, we... Took it, a buddy of mine and I picked it up and drove it to the um, Bonnaroo Music Festival. Oh, nice. And just, uh, God, are they stainless steel or aluminum? I'm going to screw that one up, aren't I? Um, I should know that. Anyhow, they're, they're beautiful. Everyone's seen them, you know, the gleaming metal, you know, tubes going down the road. And they're iconic, and it was just great. So everybody's out there camping uh, in, at Bonnaroo and sleeping in the mud, and we're inside air-conditioned comfort. It was just a, a great a great weekend so we we blogged about it for uh road and track and and just had a great weekend let me ask you this a lot of people are going to come to me and shoot me an email after this podcast and say all right i've been dying to have a job you know i'm 18 years old and 20 years old and 25 years old i want to have a writing job but specifically for cars how does how did how did roger how did matt how do all these guys start you know do you have any advice for someone who's a young guy coming out english major whatever they want to write and they want to do it on cars because a lot of people are, you know, turning the radio up right now going like, oh, my God, I, I would kill for this guy's job. How did you – what's the best piece of advice, you know, a couple? Um, tenacity, perseverance, and um, you, you really have to network uh, like crazy. You know, no one comes up and offers you this kind of gig. Um, you really have to make it your life's work. And, um, I, you know, I've been a car guy forever, been – doing a lot of things with my clients that entailed, you know, writing press releases and writing stories and telling their story. And it just evolved. I had a, uh, a publication come up and to me and ask me if I wanted to write their automotive column, which, you know, turned into another one. And then I started pitching myself to other publications. And before you know it, you know, it just kind of grows. Now, just let people know, the perks outweigh the pay because no totally. one's getting rich as a journalist, you know, just, you know, so you really do need a day job unless you have a full-time gig with a publication. Uh, but it's a great pastime. It's fun. And it, you know, it, it, it's what I love to do. So yeah. it keeps me. It's driving. a labor of love. Cause a lot of the questions I get in emails uh, also are, Hey, 
man, you, you, the hosts of those shows, and you're going to laugh at this because you know all of us, but the hosts of those shows, man, they must make a lot of money on the Drive Channel or all these other things. <laughs> and I'm just laughing going, yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're rolling in it. We're, we're in it. We're in something, I can tell you that, but it ain't. Yes. <laughs> money is not it. <laughs> so like, just much much like the you know people on camera and the, the guys writing about you know cars and whatnot, it is without a doubt, hands down, labor of love for sure. There's no question. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's something that if you don't enjoy doing it, you know, it's going to come through very quickly because it's not going to be authentic, and uh, that's what it's got to be. Well, let's let's focus in a little bit on your, uh, you know, one reason I, uh, besides multiple reasons I wanted to have you on, but I love the idea that you're a track focused journalist. Like mm -hmm. you just you really are uh, you're in tune with the sports cars and the uh, you know race cars and everything you can imagine. Uh, for the track. But before we hop into that, I wanted to get your idea. It's the end of the year. You know, where do you think the future is going in terms of technology and cars? And after that, we're going to talk about what, what, what you thought was best and worst and all that kind of thing for 2013. So before we hop into that, what, what do you see for the future? All, is it all diesel? Is it, you know, tell, tell me what you're thinking. Uh, well, it's funny you bring up diesel because I'm, you know, I think diesel is one of the uh, the best options we have out there in terms of fuel economy, mm -hmm. and because you know diesel is proven, um, there's a reason diesel is so widely accepted in Europe. It works. It's cheap technology, and it lasts forever. You know how many old diesel Benzes are still running around? You know True. you've got a lot, and, and it, so it's 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 basically bulletproof technology. Um, and it's really efficient. You know, the new, oh God, the Audi diesels are fantastic. The Mercedes diesels are fantastic. And you can take a, a large vehicle and get great range out of it, get really acceptable fuel economy. Um, you know, and there's some good stuff going on with hybrids, obviously, and, and with electrics. And, you know, I still think there's a way to go on that because of the range issues. Uh, but one of my biggest things, I think, uh, with technology, hey, it's a great time to be a driver. It's a better time to be an enthusiast because you almost can't buy a bad car these days. The problem we have is technology is improving the car but diminishing the ability of the driver. It's way too easy to drive down the road and almost be a passenger versus a driver in the car. That's why, you know, with lane departure and, and accident avoidance technology, um, People, I think, are less engaged now than they've ever been behind the wheel, and that's a really bad thing. That's true. You know, I never thought of that. I, I, I heard the, you know, I can see the point of maybe having a sports car, like a 911 or something, where, you know, you have the purists they are saying, you know, the old cars are the real way of you could feel all the inputs, and now maybe with the newer sports cars, I won't necessarily use 911, but you push a traction control on or off or whatever, it it can kind of make a not so good driver a halfway decent driver, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I can see the other argument as well for let's call it a Mercedes E class or whatever that the guy's drinking his coffee and, and doing his hair in the in the mirror, and somebody in front of him lights the brakes up. You know the the car. It is a Mercedes, right? That will stop on its own. Yes, there's a number of cars that do that. Yes, that's and it's very true, and it really works well. By the way, <laughs> it's amazing. I'm dying to know how you tested that. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> that's another thing that we're going to be working on this year is doing a, a full test on that. But, um, I'll tell you, if you drive, you have you driven a 930 turbo? 
And uh, yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah. Right. So that's, uh, that's, I, uh, that's about as visceral as they come. Well, it's really funny. I spent a, a long weekend with a, a friend of mine's, uh, he had an 89 five speed, 930 turbo and put a ton of miles on it. He just threw me the keys and said, enjoy. And I was like, that car you know it can kill you oh, gosh. if you're not paying attention. That bites you really, really fast if you just if you're distracted for two seconds. Yeah, but the thing is, you are so hyper focused on driving that car. You're not even thinking of a Slurpee or a phone or anything other than paying full attention, two hands on the wheel, except when you're shifting. That's it. You know, it's and I was like, wow, this is driving. This is what it's all about. You know, when you take most of your older cars, you really need to pay attention. But, you know, the young kids say, my son is 19, um, taught him to drive a stick. And when he got a car, we, we bought him a used car. It was, was a car with a manual transmission. And you know what? He is a much better driver than I think all of his friends because he's engaged in the driving experience. I, I totally agree. That was, uh, that was a big deal with my, you know, my father as well to make sure that I knew back then. I don't want to go that far. I'm not that old, but. You know, that was more of a standard thing than, yeah. uh, than today. But yeah, so, it's true. so your recap is diesels on its way. Keep, you know, still going strong. Yeah, yeah. I think I hope diesels pick up, um, you know, the uh, I love I love the extended range, like what um, Chevy did with the vault. And, you know, look at Matt Farah bought a vault and people thought, wow. You know what the hell is he doing by that, buying that car? I actually drove his car probably three hundred miles when I, I'm going to L.A. again at the end of this month. That, that's my. It's it's actually a pretty nice car. Isn't it a great car? Yeah. Now I love that car. I think it's. I I did the same thing. I did a a road trip, uh, about four hundred and fifty mile round trip, a road trip with one last year, and I love the car. I think it's phenomenal in the way it shifts from electric to you know when the gas engine kicks in to power the electricity. It's seamless. You don't even know it. And I think that's really a great sweet spot. You get the benefits of, you know, electric for, you know, around town, short distance, but you don't have the range anxiety you do with an all electric. And um, so I think that that's a really good technology and it, hopefully they'll keep improving that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like it's the mentality as well. Like I know when I get in that car, my goal is to go wherever it is that I'm going because I need to get there as cheaply and as safely as possible. And yeah. sometimes it's like, well, it doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the – it's like, well, yeah, like, duh. Yeah. It's an electric car. What do you, you know, so sometimes when I read, you know, uh, you know reviews or whatever, I kind of shake my head. Well, it's – yeah, it's not a Cayman. It's it's not a, you know, 964. It's it's a it's an electric car. What do you want? It, you get you can go for, what is it, 40 miles without going up or whatever? Yeah, it's like 35 on all electric. But you know, if you're yeah. if you've ever driven in LA traffic, I have driven in LA yeah. traffic in that in Matt's car, and it was exactly. it was unbelievable. It's perfect because if you're if you're driving a high horsepower car in LA traffic, you're gonna want to just kill yourself because yeah. it's the most frustrating experience ever. It is a nightmare. All right, you can't go anywhere. Yeah, let's go. 2013. You have a bunch of cars. You know, the cheapest sports car that under 30 30k. You did some ride-alongs, race cars. You got a whole – so you pick and save the, the car of the year, your choice for car of the year for last. So uh, okay. uh, start Let's start down the, down the uh, low end of the spectrum. Uh, best cheap car for an enthusiast. You got an enthusiast on a budget, um, the Chevy Sonic RS. Um, people may laugh because it's like 138 horsepower. It's you know really underpowered. The car is so much fun to drive. 
actually spent a day at Monticello Motor Club just flogging it. It's great, great little short throw. You know what? Angel I was trans. in the car for this. I was. Yes. The, is this is the this is the car I was with you? Yes. I gotta find. I, I have the video somewhere. It's hysterical. <laughs> I started getting sick in the car because I kept looking into the the camera. I'm like Roger. I'm not feeling good. <laughs> it's a, it is a it's a really great little car. It's practical. It's a five door, so you can throw a couple friends in the back, throw a bike in the back, whatever. And it's just you know it's, it's short. You can park it you know uh, easily. Um, great car. Um, they did their homework with that thing. And it starts um, at, I'm looking online right now, 14000 is the base? Uh, the base, uh, Sonic, yes. Yeah, with the turbo, it's a little more. Um, and with the, the RS package, uh, which is, you know, button-down suspension and uh, sports seats. And, and, you know, it's got a really good interior, actually, too. Uh, I, so. thought, I thought it was a great – I mean, I, I remember being really impressed that we were whipping that hard. I mean, by the way, you know, just for the listeners, Roger is actually a ridiculous driver. So when I was in the car with you, I was like – Holy crap! Like you're driving really, really fast in a car that's not a race car. <laughs> so I was, what? I was impressed. Remember, one my one adage is it's a lot more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow. This is true. This is true. You were officially. I have the video somewhere. If I can remember to post it up, I'm sure guys would be like, "Oh yeah, I remember they were talking about that on the podcast." This car, that car moves. Good choice. And cool. Basically, uh, twenty grand, right? Yeah, twenty grand. And right. then you know, if you're stepping up a little bit, uh, Ford has done an amazing job with the uh, fo- both the Fiesta ST and the Focus ST. Um, those cars are super fun to drive. Um, the the Focus has, you know, some really uh, amazing capability um, for what it is. But both of them are really fun. I like I prefer the Focus just because it's got more horsepower. But uh, you know, they're 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 great cars in the you know low mid twenty. Uh, price range they look good too they're it's definitely a small car that i i would not feel weird at all about owning yeah and the seats i mean super supportive seats very you know big they're ricaros no holsters yeah yep and you know you can only get them with a manual transmission which is you know very cool are they going to be rally cars they look very rally ish well remember they've been rallying the focus for a while in fiesta uh you know in fact uh, tim o'neill up at the uh tim o'neill rally school um, he's running, uh, I think Fiestas or Focuses up there, even the, the, the non-ST versions. Uh, they're just, you know, Ford's got their act together. They really do. Is it front wheel drive? Front wheel drive. Yep. It's not torquey at all. Yeah. There's some torque steer on there, particularly on the, on the Focus, but, um, you know, you work with it. You, you really, I've driven front wheel drive cars for years, so I don't mind it. You know, I think it's a lot of fun. It's got it, great you know, uh, on an autocross because they do some torque vectoring. It actually has a limited slip diff on the, uh, on the focus that, um, really allows you to put the power down and, you know, it's just great, great fun. And that's 25. So we went from 20 to 25. I think the Fiesta is like 23. The focus is, you know, a bit more and you can get it up to with the couple of packages, like 30 grand is loaded. So, you know, you're looking at a lot of car. Uh, for that. that, you can't no. beat that. That's probably my pick. Just yeah, they're, they're really great. Like that. Um, and then you know, there's there's been a lot of good cars. You know, we we're talking about diesel. I uh, had the Mercedes, the GL350 Blue Tech, which the previous GL uh, I was not a huge fan on. Uh, it felt huge. Uh, never really enjoyed driving those things. The new one is great. They've done a, a fantastic job with the overall design, the packaging of the interior. And with the uh, the diesel engine, 
you know, it's got decent power. You know, it's not a rocket ship, but um, it uh, gets, you know, uh, respectable fuel economies for such a big vehicle. And you can, you know, load family and stuff in there, go skiing, go to the beach, whatever you want to do. So that would be your SUV of the year kind of thing? I think so. Yeah, I, I, really, uh, I really liked it a lot. It was, uh, it was very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, was much better than expected. And then, you know, the Land, uh, Land Rover Evoque, uh, for, if we're talking crossovers here for a second, um, that's one that, you know, every time I drive it, it just reminds me how good it is. You know, I think it looks cool. I happen to like the style. I like the way it looks, but I know I was, get, I was catching some dirt from a lot of people because I was like, whoa, I thought it was pretty. What, what's the price range on this one? Uh, they're like 42, I think they start at. Um, you know, but, you know, fairly well equipped. And that car, it, you know, it's a car, whatever you want to call it. Um, the K, it's, it, it looks like it's probably not going to be great off-road. It's phenomenal. I mean, any of the Land Rovers, Range Rovers, you know, they have this incredible ability off-road that just is mind-boggling. It's got regular road tires on it, not even you know, aggressive snows are all seasons, just summer tires. And you can go down a steep dirt hill and with the hill hold and everything it's got going on, it's just amazing. You just blown away. Is the interior as nice as it looks? Yeah, it is. It's not, obviously, it's not as upscale as the uh, full-blown Range Rover or the Range Rover Sport. But, you know, at the price point, it's, uh, it's great. I think the interior design is really attractive. Um, it's got a, a chopped roof, but you don't feel claustrophobic. It looks like it from the outside. It might feel a little bit hemmed in, but it really doesn't. Uh, I think it gives it a nice look. That That's definitely my pick for the SUV of the year. Yeah, I love those things. They're great. And then, um, you know, here's an interesting one. Um, you know, muscle cars, obviously, you know, I, I'm an American, so I love muscle cars. Uh, but we, uh, you know... The Challenger, to me, the base Challenger, like the base Camaro, um, didn't do it for me. I'm a, I'm a Mustang guy and uh, always felt that the, the base vehicles and the you know, GT model was superior to what Dodge and, uh, and Chevy was offering. Then I drove the ZL1 Camaro, and I was like, holy cow, that thing's a monster. Handles great. And then recently, I drove the the Dodge, the uh, SRT, it's not Dodge, uh, the 2014 SRT Challenger 392. Um, phenomenal. It's, it, you'd never know that thing weighs like 4,200 pounds. It just goes like stink. It handles incredibly well. Um, great power, lights up the tires at will, and uh, sounds great. You know, good seats, everything. I do like that car, but I have this one complaint that people listening probably have heard me say this a thousand times, the dead cat space on that car. I just feel like it's, it, when it comes from the factory, it's ready to go off roading or something. I don't know what it is. I just like to take a car and dump it down, not to, you know, gangster level or whatever. I'm talking about like race car level where it's, there's no space in between. Right. The fender. So I don't know what it is. Every time I look at that from the side, I did, I, if I can stick my fist in between the tire and the wheel well, it's too it's too high. I think a lot of that has to do the manufacturers are trying to keep you know people from you know ripping off balances and um, you know they 
like that thing has a little bit of a splitter hanging out the front. Yeah. And uh, I think they'd probably get a lot of complaints from stupid people who would just, you know, try to, That's probably, you know, probably hit their true. driveway. But, if you know, you... I think 40 grand and um, it's a lot of car for that, man. Totally. You spend well, 1500 bucks, you drop it down, you got a beast that looks like it's on the right, it's got the right shoes on instead of, you know, wearing pants with the pants pulled up and white socks underneath. You know, it's like, yeah. ah, it looks weird. Yeah. When you when you drop it down, it really looks like it's it's it's, it's ready got, to go. Dude, it's got 470 horsepower and 470 pounds of torque. So you know, I mean, you can you can play with the suspension. You got a lot. You got a lot under the hood. That's what counts. Um, but speaking of suspension, so uh, the folks at Hertz were nice enough to put me behind the wheel of you know they have this new uh, deal they're doing again with with um, Hertz and um, Ford with the uh, Renta. Mustang, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's a basically Penske worked with Hertz and Ford to create the what's called the Hertz Penske GT. So they built 150 of them to rent in uh, various Hertz uh, locations around the country. They also built, a, and those are all have an automatic transmission because obviously, you know, they're renting them to people who may or may not have the ability to drive these cars. So it's very difficult to find anything with a manual transmission in a, uh, a car rental location in America, which is unfortunate, but understandable. It's a business move. It's nothing it's personal. It's a business move. So anyhow, the, 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 the smart folks over at uh, Hertz also built 11 of them with manual transmissions for their VIPs, for Roger Penske when he pops in and needs a car, uh, for whoever else. So... They were kind enough to bring one up to uh, Monticello Motor Club and uh, let me have a go with it. And the car had 11 miles on it. And I oh, said, man. you're sure? You really <laughs> want me to do this? And they're like, yeah, it's cool. So um, that car had some really um, interesting break-in miles. Let's put it that way. I can imagine. Um, it was the best Mustang short of the GT500. And, and you know, maybe it's, it's probably a cross between a – uh, a Mustang GT and a Boss 302, but it's Ooh. certainly the best Mustang GT I've driven. Um, they lowered the suspension. It's got all kinds of Ford racing parts on it, suspension, brakes, uh, exhaust, intake, and ah, the car sounds great. And, uh, you know, it looks good. They've got the little stripes on it and stuff, but really fun car. Yeah, it's hard to beat Mustangs. I mean, bang for your buck. I mean, Corvette's right there as well, but I don't yeah. know. I'm a, I'm a Mustang guy. Boss 302, I just think is, I've had a, I've had a hankering for one of those for, for a long time. Those are great cars. It's amazing. Yes, they are. They're great. And the new one, you know, I'm really excited to, which uh, have not had a chance to drive one yet, is really nobody has. But I'm really looking forward to the new uh, Mustang with the uh, independent rear suspension and see where that goes. Brilliant. What do you got yeah. left? Uh let's see. We've got okay. Um. Uh, muscle cars, we did that. Well, I did the uh, the Viper and the Corvette back to back on the racetrack. Both great cars. Um, and Which vet? The new one. The you know with with the, um, the Z fifty one or whatever. Z fifty one suspension. Thank you. Um, too many numbers in my head. No, no, no. I, uh, I drove that car too, so I have some yeah. opinions on that. But guys, you know, I liked it a lot. I thought as an everyday sports car, you can't go wrong. It, to me. You know, I'd probably, between the Corvette and the Cayman, I'd go with the Cayman just because I'm a little bit Porsche-centric. But, you know, for the money, it's a phenomenal car. Sure, it's got some, you know, inexpensive parts 
whatever the fit and finish is not up to, you know, a Porsche or even the Viper. But, you know, I think they've done an amazing job with it. The styling looks great. And the Viper, on the other hand, not a car you want to drive every day. Phenomenal on the track. I mean, the car is just, you know, tons of performance. But, um, you know, it's got some compromises. What, what's, what are the compromises? Why wouldn't you want to drive that every day? It's loud, number one, and loud, not loud in a good way, you know, uh, you know, with the side pipes, it's right there. Um, it's not as, how do I say this, uh, tactfully, um, the sound to me on the Viper, the exhaust note is not as pleasant as most sports cars. I, I've never really been a big fan. Oh, uh, you mean, you mean Viper by, okay, got you. I thought you meant, you meaning the, the, the motor itself doesn't resonate the sweetest well, to your ears kind of well, thing you know here's the thing it's it, it, that that engine was you know derived from a truck engine originally and so um the viper is you know it's a it's a v10 there's a lot of companies you know like you think of some of the exotic v10s um you know and and some of the exotic v8s that have just incredible sound coming out of them um this doesn't sound exotic you know, the Corvette sounds a lot better to me than the Viper. And when we get to, in a few minutes, my car of the year, there again, sound sound is really important. I, you know, I think a, a sports car particularly has to have the right exhaust note. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That's, that's probably like 50% of, it's got to look a certain way. You know, it's got to feel a certain way when you're driving it. But, I mean, yeah, you'd be foolish to think it didn't sound like, maybe take a 458 and then, you know, in a you know this random world, make make it so it doesn't. It sounds like a, you know, a hybrid or something. The sex appeal of that car would go right in the toilet. Yep, there's no question. Yeah, and you know, so there's you know there's also uh, cockpit uh, space and utility of the car. There's a lot of things that would make that um, car a challenge. I think. How's the clutch? Is it like super heavy or no? Not that bad. You know, it's 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 heavier than the Corvette, but it's not not you know unbearable. Um, you know, it's not like a Ford GT or, you know, some of the other recent, you know, hypercars. Um, and yeah, so those are, you know, those are really both great cars. You can't go wrong. I think, um, either one, uh, would be, I have a friend in fact, who's kind of vacillating back and forth between the two. So it's a nice choice to have to make. You know, that, yeah. Life stinks then you die, right? Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, something interesting. Uh, oh, so best race car. So let's jump right into the extreme end of things. Um, I was the first journalist in North America to drive the Praga R1, which is a, and you can read about it in Road and Track. Um, it's a Slovakian built. Oh, I'm Slovakian. Are you? I am. My, my wife and I are both Slovakian. I didn't even realize that. There you go. This is your car, pal. Thank you. It's it's stunning. I mean, the car is gorgeous. Uh, did you see? Uh, you've seen it, haven't you, in person? I, I haven't seen it in person. How do you spell it? It's Praga, P R A G A, and it's a company that's been around since like 1917. They've been around for a long time. They built uh, cars, tanks, trucks, motorcycles, airplanes, all kinds of stuff. Um, and recently, they've been focused on race cars, and and they actually built uh, championship winning. Uh, go-karts, uh, racing carts as well. So these guys know something about truck performance. They actually build the chassis that um, Lotus was using for their uh, Le Mans racer as well, I believe. 
Um, don't quote me on that, but I can. What color was the one that you drove? Because I'm looking at a bunch of pictures here. White. There's a blue one and a white one they had up at Monticello. And it almost looks like an F1 sort of It crazy. looks like, it, you know what? Yeah, I mean, the car really, to me, looks like a uh, an LMP1. That's what I was going to say, Daytona prototype. Yeah. That's what I meant. It's a close yeah. car. No, thing. don't say Daytona prototype, please. All right, never mind, never no. mind. No, we're talking Le Mans here, elegance, you know, sensuous body styling. Why did they let you drive this? <laughs> it's called opportunity, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I right see a picture at Monticello of the two cars. This could yeah. potentially be you in the car. Who's driving the white one? Yes, yeah, yeah. number 710. Yeah, and dude, I got to tell Jeez. you something. So you should read the story. It's a go to roadandtrack.com and just type in Prague. You'll see it. Um, it. This is a serious downforce car. The car weighs 1,300 pounds, oh generates, and it generates 1,900 pounds of downforce. Well, I'm looking at the, the – if you're listening now, you have to go and type in P-R-A-G-A-R-1. And this one is actually at Monticello Motor Club. Yeah, uh, this particular one, and the nose has so many like wings and features that I can tell it just catches air and just forces the nose down. Dude, you cannot believe how well this car is designed. Um, you know, first of all, it's extremely safe. It's a full carbon fiber monocoque. Um, you can stand on the roof. I did. You know, the guy showed me. It's like, it's go ahead, jump on the roof. Um, you can stand on the side splitter. Uh, the car is really stout. Um, it's designed for a guy to go to the track by himself or with his kid. Just all you got to do is check the air in the tires. You do not need a full crew. You know, it's it's so much easier than like a Porsche Cup car, which you know you really you're not going to take that by yourself. You need support. Um, really easy to change. The pedals adjust for various size drivers like me on the short end of the scale. Um, the seats, it goes either from a single seat to a dual seat inside if you want to have, you know, coach someone or have someone coach you. Paddle shifts. Um, it's a what two, kind of power? two-liter Formula Renault engine. Uh, the stock, the naturally aspirated one is 210 horsepower, 220 pounds of torque, which doesn't sound like a lot until you remember the car only weighs 1,300 pounds and generates like three Gs in the corners. Oh so I was, I spun the car on my outlap. All right. Um, you spun on your outlap. How yeah. cold were the tires? They were cold and it was, it Jeez. was a little damp on the track. And, you know, so I touched the curbing and, you know, it's easy to do. And, you know, so, um, but the car is, you know, when you feel the tires losing grip, that means you got to go faster because you're not, you haven't made the transition from mechanical grip to downforce. And that's something that takes your brain a little bit to get used to. But um, that's the fastest I've ever gone at Monticello in a car with only 210 horses. What's the price of this? Uh, like 175 grand. Super safe. I mean, this thing is been, has been crash tested. Um, really very, very reliable, dependable, phenomenal car. Believe me, if uh, I had an extra 200K burning a hole in my wallet right now, that would be my track car. The problem is, this car is too cool to only drive on the track. That's I, if I bought this car, <laughs> I'd figure out a way to like take the nose off and raise it a little bit and put a slap a plate on it because this thing, this, this is wild looking. It's sick. And there's a if, by the way on that if you go to the uh, road and track article, you'll see I've got some in car video as well me driving it, which is uh, was fun. Um, How do I and, detail this car? Now you got me all 
buggered out here. Slovakian, this is like my dream here. All right, how do I how do I detail I, the car? I think you have to go to, uh, you know, Bratislava, motherland, and do it there at the factory. But uh, well, we'll hook you up. Well, I'm like, oh, I definitely think you should be detailing these things. So cool. It's a very cool car. And the and the other cool race car I drove this year was the uh, Aston Martin uh, Vantage GT4, uh, which uh, uh, TRG Group is uh, campaigning and running a single mark series with this year. That was, uh, you know, also paddle shifts. That's, you know, that's the other thing now. Race cars, they're all going to, you know, paddle shifts just because it's quicker. You, the transmission, you can't possibly shift as quick as these electronic transmissions. No. The GT3 did that, right? Yeah, that's what Porsche's doing with the new GT3, yeah. And so it's uh, a little bit, some of the Porsche purists are freaking out, but, you know. Oh, controversy. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, and then, oh, so race cars, let's continue in this vein. Um, I was, uh, I've known Jim Glickenhaus for a number of years, and um, I put Jim together up at uh, Monticello Motor Club with the guys from Road and & Track and, and Sam Posey uh, is doing a story on the P45 and the P45C. So um, I got to go right seat with Jim. Uh, he was driving the P45C, and I got to be the passenger. And uh, that was pretty cool because I, I saw that car race at the Nürburgring in its inaugural you know, race, and it was just – it's an amazing car. Was he driving it then, or did he have a driver? No, no. At the, in the Nurburgring, he he had all pros. He doesn't race it, you know. He he drives it for fun. He drives all his cars, um, and he drives everything on the road too. This one he didn't drive on the road, but he, on the way up to Lime Rock, I saw him. He just like whizzed by me. I'm like, what the heck is that? And then I realized, oh, that's that's got to be Clicking House. <laughs> was the P45? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, <laughs> the, one of the last races of the year at, at Lime Rock. Yep, it's crazy, but he's he's a great guy. So that was very cool, and that thing's loud and awesome. Very cool. And, and we, uh, we under the car of the year. Car of the year. Uh, do you have a favorite car of the year? Before I tell you mine. <sighs> you know, I don't. I th I think, I think the uh, the Ford Focus for some reason. I real I just really like that car. I don't know why. I just, I think the price point and the way it looks and. I think it just it hit exactly what Ford was trying to do with that particular. So it's not the fastest, it's not the cheapest, it's not the most, you know, it's what they were trying to build. I think they hit it right on the mark. So from, from that perspective, I, I really do like the, uh, the Ford Focus. Excellent choice. Um, I would agree with you, except I got to drive the Jaguar F-Type, which is my car of the year. Uh, I can't wait for the coupe, but the, I, and I'm not a convertible guy. Neither am this, I. I fell in love with this car. The look, I think they nailed it when I saw it at the New York Auto Show last year and i said wow the proportions on this thing are pretty much perfect just the size everything about it and then i drove it it sounds amazing it's got stupid power the car is you know it's fast it corners it stops it does everything right there's this great burble when you back off the throttle um, it was, you know, I, I just spent a day with one up at, up at Monticello and I'm just like every lap was, are you kidding me? What and does I, it sound like? What is it similar to? Cause I haven't even heard one in, in would, person. Would, would you like me to pull up the, uh, <laughs> while, while we're chatting here, let me just see. I do have the, uh, the video of it. I might be able to play it for you. It sounds, it's, I, I gotta tell you something. They've done something really, really cool here. It's almost like a British muscle car 
Um, so what, what's in it? It's a V8. And now I, there's, I drove the six-cylinder as well. The six-cylinder is great, you know, handles fantastic and does everything really well, the 6S. But the V8 is just, it's stupidly awesome. Um, is it, you want me to play a little? Yeah, if you, yeah just blast yeah. it. Let's see if this works. Uh, so bear with me here while I'm opening this file. And um, all right, I'm going to crank up the speakers. And let's see if this works. Wow. Now. Put it up a little bit. Wow, that's not at all what I expected. Now listen to that burble. So. Wow. That's a hammer, man. It's a dude. It's a, it's a hammer. I just I my my was smiling ear to ear driving this thing, but it's fat. It it just is so competent on the track. Now, mind you, you know, a lot of people are comparing it to the Porsche 911 convertible or the Boxster. It's it's not. It's that's a wrong comparison. First of all, the engine's in the wrong place for either one of those cars. I, I compare this thing to the Corvette or the Viper because it's got, you know, killer power. It will light up the tires like you can't believe, which I won't admit to. Um, or I did. Oops, too late. Um, it's, <laughs> it is a phenomenal driving car. It's fun. It looks great. The interior is really well designed. And um, I love it. So I, I'm really psyched for the coupe because I think it's going to be even more you know, well, that so. thing sound that thing sounded killer. You were right. That that's definitely a uh, muscle car, or you know, a British muscle car kind of thing. I, if you didn't tell me what that was, I would not have guessed no. a Jaguar. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like the Jaguars really done a great job reinventing themselves. They've they're new performance oriented cars. The you know the the XKR and XKRS, and you know they, they they're doing an an R version of the xj i mean you know they're really going there you know and they're doing a great job so that's awesome well, i appreciate yeah. you giving us the 2013 review of rogers review maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that every year rogers review excellent <laughs> what do you got going on for 2014 what uh what are the cool things i can pull oh, you back on and and, and a twist lot your of, arm a lot of cool stuff uh one of the most uh, exciting things uh for me at least is uh my friend Charles Mosley and I, Charles is uh, also a, a fellow uh, auto journalist, uh, we've been working on a uh, TV show, which, uh, which should be announced uh, within the next couple months. Uh, it's called Driving with Idiots. And, that, that, uh, seems, that seems about right, yeah. <laughs> which I think most of us do every day, just going down the road. <laughs> um, the, you know, the unknown question is, are we the idiots or uh, is everyone else the idiot? So mm. that's, that's where you know, we're going to let you answer that. Um, and it's going to be sort of a new car review show, but it's a, it's a comedy show. And, uh, uh, we think it's pretty entertaining and it, it's going to be on a network to be named, uh, shortly. So oh, exciting. They t oh, and by the way, uh, we, we hope to have you on as a frequent guest because we're going to be, uh, having a need for your expert services. Oh, sweet. I've got, there's my first TV gig, uh, lined up right now. You heard it. 
Yes. <laughs> Heard it here first. All right. So when when this all comes to uh, comes to be here, you promise to come back on and uh, you know certainly give me an email. Let me give me a call. We'll, we'll post it up on Facebook or I'll send something out. And make sure everybody listening and all the uh, ammo fans, uh, you know, tune in and, and check it out because I'll be I'll be pretty excited. Absolutely, Larry. You'll be the first to know. Believe me, or second after my wife. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. <laughs> all right. Again, I appreciate you spending the time. Happy New Year to you and. Uh, when it gets above 17 degrees, we should go for a drive. Absolutely, Larry. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time, and uh, Happy New Year to you as well, and uh, we'll see you very soon. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. It's always fun to talk to Roger. I can't wait for the summer to get here and uh, go to the track with him and pick his brain on a few more things. So thanks to uh, Roger once again for being on the podcast. As always, uh, we're actually running pretty late today because we're talking about some good stuff. Uh, but as always, I answer. I try to answer one Facebook question. Uh, and this particular one is pretty cool. This is from Frank Shrewsbury. Very cool name, by the way. Um, and he says, Hi, Larry. Uh, first off, I want to say that, uh, like many others, I enjoy your videos, especially ones that include your Porsche 964. Anyways, I have a 2013 white Boss 302 that has a reflective stripe on the hood and side, sides. I saw on one of your videos of you heading to Lime Rock with some of your friends. I actually had dinner with them last night, my good buddies. Um I noticed that a yellow Boss 302, Mirage, are you listening? Uh, yellow Boss 302, uh, and it says, so with the decal, should I just apply ammo skin or any sealant, and that doesn't have to be mine, uh, directly over the re- reflective decals, or should I apply it only to the paint itself? Um, and now that I think about it, the rear wing is also flat back, should it be coated with skin as well? I'm an avid detailer, and I want to support all these things, and thank you so much, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right, so basically what happened here. Uh, is he's asking me, can you put a sealant or protectant, a protection over the plastic? The plastic, sorry, let me check that, over the decals? Um, and the answer is yes, you can do it. The, the tricky part is you sort of treat it like clear bra in that you want to apply, in this case, we're talking about skin. He asked about skin, but if you have another sealant, use another sealant. So either a wax or sealant, when you apply it with an applicator pad, you want to stroke, stroke, stroke away or off of the plastic just like you would a clear bra because if you start getting sealant stuck in the side of the stripes, you lose the visual on the, on the stripes and you, and you only see the white dried up nastiness or whatever on the side of the sticker. So the answer is, yeah, you can put stuff on there. Is it really protecting? Is it really eh, – I think to some degree it is protecting. I think plastic or, excuse me, stickers – are somewhat porous, but at the end of the day, you know, a stripe is a stripe, uh, especially those. Those are uh, stickered on. They're not painted in. So, yeah, I, if it was me, I would do that. Here's the little interesting thing. In one of the videos, I think I did an Instagram shot of it, um, and you guys got to check it out. It's pretty cool. On the the video that he's actually talking about, ironically, you know, off video, just me and my buddies were goofing around, and he was putting on uh, water-based dressing on his lower rocker panels. And it wasn't ammo, believe it or not. It was one of my closer friends. Uh, and I was giving him, you know, crap about it because <laughs> that's what you do uh, when you're friends. So I, I said, hey, why don't you check this this product out? And the reason why he wasn't using it was he was thinking, you know, my particular tire dressing, and you guys know I never talk about my products, but for this particular question, my tire dressing is water-based and it's called mud. It's very sticky and thick and like mud, hence the name. Uh, but it's the same sort of concept as another product out there that is used for trim dressing and engine dressing and things like that. So he was using that particular product 
uh, on his stripes because his stripes happen to be black, unlike this gentleman, I think, who's, who's saying his stripes are different colors, um, except for the one on the back. So they were black on my buddy Paul's car. Um, he has a Shelby, crazy, crazy car. And he was wiping them with this, uh, you know, trim, this trim uh, shine kind of thing. And I showed him that he could do the same thing. And it actually looked um, just as good, if not better, uh, with the tire dressing because it was water-based and not solvent-based. So that's a multiple... I answered more than he was asking in this particular question, but I just found it interesting because I was like, oh, cool, let's test it out on my buddy Paul's car. And it worked out perfectly. Um, so it made the the stripes really pop out deep and shine. Um, and again, you want to be very specific and make sure that you stay on and off. But to answer your question, Frank, yes, you can put skin on there. The little booger in the ointment, as they say, is that if you don't put it on right and you go across the grain, you're going to get all that gunk stuck in the side of the stripes, which defeats the purpose in the first place. So I hope you guys uh, had fun on this podcast, super long, an hour and 20 minutes. I apologize, but we just keep rambling and rambling because it's so exciting. I want to thank my partners, the Smoking Tire, which hopefully when you listen to this, um, make sure you go on the Smoking Tire website or their podcast, which is where this is actually held on shoutengine.com. The best platform for podcasting. If you want to do a podcast, make sure you uh, you can email me or you can email uh, the gentleman Chris Hayes, who's the man behind uh, ShotEngine.com uh, and also host uh, one of the hosts of The Smoking Tire with Matt Farah. So when you hear this podcast, probably about the time it comes out is when I'm actually doing a podcast in Los Angeles with Matt. So wait a week and you have another podcast. So make sure you do that. I want to thank Jalopnik. They are awesome. They're super uh helpful in posting all those uh, videos. And of course, Lime Rock Race Park. I love those guys too. We do a lot of racing. I can't wait for it to get warm. And Aston Martin TRG Racing, uh, huge partners, Manhattan Classic Car Club. And I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but uh, I love everybody. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. All right. Bye.